Welcome to WOMA's series on Occupational and Environmental Medicine Updates with this week's session on COVID-19, PPE, Reuse, and Decontamination. My name is Dr. Sherry Belaski, and I'm today's moderator. WOMA is the Western Occupational and Environmental Medical Association and a subcomponent of ACOM. We've designed these WOMA podcasts to be a tool and benefit for occupational and environmental medicine physicians. The WOMA Education Committee members involved in planning the session and our speaker have no relevant financial relationships to disclose. The current topic is COVID-19, which has been on the minds of all healthcare workers. As hospitals and clinics face shortages of PPE, many clinicians are asking about the safety and efficacy of decontamination. I'm delighted to have Dr. David Rempel here who will help answer some of these questions. Dr. Rempel is a professor at University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine in the Division of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Dr. Rempel, welcome to WOMA's podcast. Hi, Sherry. Happy to be here. The first thing I'd like to ask you is, what would you say are the most critical data-driven changes that have occurred regarding PPE reuse and decontamination in the past month? Well, we've seen just a flood of papers in the last three weeks on new methods for decontaminating N95 masks. And some of them have used actual SARS-CoV-2 virus inoculated masks and then tested new treatments uh, on those masks. So that's a lot of new information and that's we try to incorporate that new information in our recommendations uh, to hospitals and healthcare providers. Thank you. What are um, the specific updates that you're aware of on UV light decontamination strategies? Well, we know that UVC light in the right wavelength is a strong germicidal um, and it's effective in decontaminating uh, N95 masks if the masks are exposed from both sides to the proper dose, which is one um, joule per centimeter squared. Um, what we also know is that a lot of biosafety cabinets that currently have UVC lights, the lamps may not have adequate dosage to decontaminate N95 masks. And so we recommend that anyone who's using a UVC source test the intensity of the light source with a sensor that specifically samples at the right wavelength around 260 nanometers. If you use a different wavelength sensor, it's not gonna tell you whether that lamp is uh, germicidal or not. Um, the other information is that some people are recommending using UV light sources from tanning booths or from nail salons or other uh, tools you can buy off the internet. And we find that the, the dose from those systems is not in the right wavelength or the right, the right intensity. So we don't recommend using those kind of systems. These really, we really need to use a medical sourced UV system for adequately decontaminating N95 um, masks. And finally, what I'll say is that some people have recommended leaving a mask out in the sun because it might be exposed to UVC, but actually not very much UVC gets through the ionosphere to the earth. So sitting in the sun is not a great way to get UVC source. It's good for UVA and UVB, but not um, enough UVC. What can you tell us about the time method for decontaminating N95 respirators? That's a great question. A lot of healthcare providers are now using the time method where they 
have five to seven N95 masks. They keep them in separate paper bags and they use the same mask every five or seven days when they're at work. And what's not known is really how long the SARS-CoV-2 virus lasts on the mask surface. But new information from NIOSH suggests that the SARS-CoV-2 virus um, will last maybe 72 hours. So using a process where there's five days to seven days seems adequate for decontaminating masks, as long as the bag allows breathing and it stays warm so it can, um, it can dry out and, and inoculate the mask surface. Which of the currently available decontamination procedures seem to be the most practical and sustainable? Well, that's a difficult issue. I think a lot of hospitals have um, heating methods, um, blanket warmers, autoclaves. They have systems which can decontaminate N95 masks through a moist heat process. Right now, it looks like that process has to achieve a temperature between 70 to 85 degrees centigrade with more than 50% relative humidity applied for 60 minutes. And so someone using that kind of system would have to just document that the device um, achieves those temperatures and humidity. Thank you. I'm wondering if you would tell us a little bit about um, what you know about the University of Maryland's experience with elastomeric respirators. I'm wondering if you see a larger role for using elastomerics in healthcare settings. Elastomerics look like they're very effective in protecting healthcare workers from uh, viruses. There are new models of elastomerics that are clear and easier to use, easier to clean. In fact, even some elastomerics that may cover the eyes. The limits on elastomerics are that they have an exhalation port. And so if the healthcare worker is infected and shedding, they may actually be distributing some virus through the, uh, through the exhalation port. And there's some work about how to filter that. The other is that an elastomeric is much more expensive than an N95. And so there are cost issues, especially if the elastomeric is gonna be cleaned um, once a day or on some regular basis between um, patient care. But in the long run, it looks like elastomerics have important use in the hospital setting. Good to know. Well, I'm wondering if you would share which methods do we know are not effective? Uh, sure, there are a number of methods we know degrade the filters of an N95. Uh, examples are soapy water, bleach immersion, spraying an N95 mask with alcohol. Those don't seem to work. Also, I mentioned earlier that the home UV source or sunlight have an inadequate UVC dosing. And so those are, in, are un, unlikely to work also. There is some evidence that perhaps using a bleach wipe where you wipe down the surface of the N95 might be effective, but that hasn't been tried as far as I know in a large scale yet. Dr. Rumpel, I'm wondering, have any of these decontamination methods been approved by the FDA? Yes, in the last month, the FDA has provided emergency use authorization to five different hydrogen peroxide 
methods for decontamination. In fact, they're the only methods that the FDA has approved. Um, they first approved the Battelle mail-in method. You know, Battelle has six sites around the country. Hospitals can mail the masks to them and they'll be returned in 10 days decontaminated. That seems to be a very good method. And I think in fact, it's free for hospitals now. The federal government has paid a Battelle to apply that process for all hospitals. Um, and there are also in-house methods using hydrogen peroxide. And if you go to the n95decon.org site, um, there are standard operating procedures in there from Mass General Hospital and, um, and the Duke Medical Center that describe uh, in-house processes for decontamination. I'm wondering if, as we conclude, you might recommend some resources for our listeners. Sure. The CDC, the FDA, and OSHA have announcements to healthcare workers and to hospitals about changes in policies regarding N95 masks and other PPE. And hospitals and healthcare workers should check those sources frequently. Also, an organization that I work with called n95decon.org is a good place to go to for information. There are fact sheets there. There are standard operating procedures from other hospitals to share. And um, there are technical reports with detailed evaluations of different methods for decontamination. Thank you so much. On behalf of the WOMA Education Committee, the WOMA Board of Directors, and myself as moderator, I really want to thank you, Dr. Rempel, for joining us and thank all of you who are listening. Um, if you would like to take a deeper dive into PPE decontamination, please visit acom.org for a recording of the April 22nd full length webinar on this topic. The goal of these WOMA podcasts is to keep you updated on topics of current interest in occupational medicine. We realize this topic raises many more questions, and we hope that this information will generate further interaction beyond this podcast. This concludes today's podcast. Thank you.